This is the Creative Funding Show, a podcast for authors, YouTubers, and podcasters who want to fund the work they love. Welcome to the Creative Funding Show. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr. And with me today is Steve Olsher, who is famous for helping individuals and corporations become exceptionally clear on what their what is and the one thing they were created to do. His practical, no-holds-barred approach to life and business propels his clients and presentation attendees towards achieving massive profitability while culminating lives of purpose, conviction, and contribution. And he also runs the New Media Summit and hosts Reinvention Radio. Steve, welcome to the Creative Funding Show. Hey, man. Appreciate you having me on. So I want to talk a little bit about the state of podcasting. Uh, you have a podcast, and the New Media Summit is specifically for podcasts. Uh, what would you say to people who say that podcasting is just a fad? Well, you know, look, man, I think there was a point in time where there was questions about the longevity, if you will, of the medium and whether or not it actually, uh, you know, was going to move out of sort of the, the, the basement realms that it was born in uh, and hit the mainstream, right? So I, I do think there was a period of time there where people were like, yeah, I'm not really sure what to make of this. But the fact of the matter is that podcasting is certainly not a, a fad at this point. I mean, when when you look at what's going on in terms of Wi-Fi being a standard accessory in the car, in terms of what's going on with Apple CarPlay and Google CarPlay. Uh, you know, all of the the momentum that NPR and some of the other uh, media outlets have thrown into this particular medium, there, there's just no way on God's green earth that it's going to fall under that category of being a fad anymore. And certainly when you look at the numbers, I mean, the numbers substantiate the fact that not only is it not a fad, uh, but it's growing massively, and uh, more, you know, more recently here, I just heard uh, that for the first time, um, podcast listenership has exceeded uh, satellite radio re- uh, listenership, which is which is a huge step uh, in the right direction. Because I think there was a point uh, in time there where people were really concerned, uh, at least in the podcasting industry, that uh, we'd ever catch up to satellite, uh, and so for the first time. Uh, in first quarter 2018, actually, podcast listenership surpassed satellite. So, yeah, man, I think it's uh, I think it's alive and well. And uh, the, the 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 fear, if you will, of this simply being a fad, uh, I think we move beyond that. Yeah, I'm from the terrestrial radio world. We ha- I had a radio show uh, back in the day, and I will say people were predicting the demise of radio for 60 years. TV was going to kill radio. Eight track tapes were going to kill radio. Cassette tapes are going to kill radio, and it's still around. And if pod and if radio can last this long podcasting has got an even longer road ahead in my opinion yeah and and i think actually to that end i think it actually has a longer road ahead than radio i think podcasting may in fact at some point here be the final demise of radio i mean we'll see i mean my having done interviews on both for you know the better part of 20 years i can tell you that the majority of radio goes on listen to whereas the majority of podcasts as you know because it's a it's a it's a pull medium where the person's literally raising their hand to say I want that. I mean, a hundred percent of podcasts are listened to. You you know what I'm saying? So it's 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 completely at the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, there's a reason why I have a bunch of podcasts now, and I'm no longer on radio because I was shocked at because I came from the marketing world before that, where we measure everything, and I'm in radio, and there's no way to know how many people are listening. 
like they like give little note cards for people to jot in and they have, you know, spyware on people's phones, but it's, it's very clumsy <laughs> a form of measurement. Whereas uh, podcasting is much better and YouTube's even better than that. With YouTube, you can know exactly what second somebody stopped watching your video. And uh, it's, there's just a lot more truth there in the sense of knowing what's going on and knowing what's resonating with your audience. And that allows podcasters and YouTubers to more quickly adapt to what their audience is wanting and create a better product. Yeah, I agree completely. And, uh, and and the point's really well taken. I mean, in terms of measurability, I mean, I do think we've got a long way to go um, in the podcasting uh, genre in terms of this medium and being able to track it from a metric standpoint and really knowing who's doing what, when, and, and even who those people are. I mean, that if there is one downside of podcasting, it's that with rare exception, I mean, there are some platforms that are trying to change that, but with rare exception, when somebody downloads your show and listens to it, you really don't know who they are. Right. It's the one last anonymous thing you do on the internet. <laughs> so, yeah. When you're browsing a website, that that website owner knows everything about you. Whereas when you download a podcast episode, they know that you're on an iPhone and that you're listening, what app you're listening to and a few other things. But uh, it's much, much more like how things were in the, in the olden days. But uh, I want to talk a little bit about the money side of things because I know you have a lot to say about this. And um, do people have to have their own podcast to profit from podcasting? Well, you know, it's interesting. We actually have a, a course that's called Profiting from Podcasts, which just simply focuses on the guest side of the equation and monetizing their visibility. Uh, so reality is you can absolutely make money through podcasting without even having your own show. I mean, I... I'm a huge advocate of having your own show, and I do think um, that as you become more clear on what your topic of influence is, which is basically that that one area of focus that represents your your true expertise, your true fire, you know, your passion, whatever you want to call it, um, that as you begin discussing that on more and more shows, I think you'll find that as you get clearer in your message, and, and really, what's really you know what what. I have found to be so interesting here is that, you know, if you want to pitch us and, and Tom, I know you mentioned our show reinvention radio. I mean, I've been doing that since 2009, uh, on and off, but mostly on now since 2015. Uh, you know, if you want to get booked on our shows, you've got to be able to clearly articulate who you are and what you do and the value that you bring to the table. And so as you articulate that as a guest, what you'll find, I believe is that that description of who you are and what you do really lends itself to a particular subset of the population that is that is kind of literally waiting for you to show up right in their lives and share that brilliance and share that expertise so the more that you are a guest on a show and the more that you talk about your value and the more that you talk about your expertise and the more that you help people as a guest the natural byproduct of that is wait a minute if if I can do this from a guest standpoint, the odds are pretty good that I could get pretty far down the path starting my own show around that same subject. Do you need to do it? No. And can you monetize your visibility as a guest? Absolutely. But what I have found more often than not is that people whet their appetite for podcasting by being a guest and really seeing what can happen when you are a guest on a show is that the natural byproduct of all those appearances is they kind of come to the conclusion like, you know, I should probably do my own show here. And it's a great way to practice without investing all of the money and, you know, paying for podcast hosting and, and building a website. And especially for people whose primary source of revenue is, say, a YouTube channel or a book, like being a guest on a bunch of different podcasts to support your book is, I will say, as a reader and as a podcast listener, 
Very effective. So I buy a lot of books that I hear the author talk about. Now, I will say, you have to have an audiobook. I'm not going to listen to a podcast and then read your book with my eyes. That is not going to, at least for me, I am wanting to listen to your book on Audible. And it can be a great way of driving uh, more people to your book and to your platform and spreading the word because each podcast is its own community. So while having your own podcast is very deep, right? People who listen to this show, you know, have had my voice in their head for hours. Um, it's it's uh, not as wide as if I had have done all of those same uh, episodes on a bunch of different podcasts. I would have reached far more people that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the point is, uh, is really, really well taken. And, and again, because it's a pull medium in terms of the people who are listening to the show, you know, if they listen to the show, they're actually saying that, you know, they're raising their hand, right? They're saying, I want that. So there's no, there's no force. No one's forcing it down your throat. So I kind of liken it to an email situation here. So if you do email marketing, you know what email open rates are. It, let's just call it, you know, 10, 20% max, depending on who you are. Whereas with podcasting, it's basically the equivalent of like a 100% open rate and even more so like a 100% click through rate, right? Because the people that are downloading and listening to that show are in fact saying, I want that. Uh, and that just, it's a totally different relationship between the podcaster and the audience because of that. Yeah, that's really good. And I, can you explain the difference between push and pull? Because those were really popular terms a few years back, and they're still super important principles. But I haven't heard I, I, uh, people use those terms quite a bit. So I want to make sure everyone knows what you mean when you're saying a pull medium. Yeah, I, so I'm both on the cutting edge, Tom, uh, and way behind in a lot of ways. So it just depends on the... Uh, I'm right there with you. Yeah. I'm right there with you. It just depends on the conversation. But uh, so pull media... Uh, as podcasting would be a perfect example. YouTube would be a perfect example. Blogging would be a perfect example um, where basically a consumer decides what they want to consume when they want to consume it and on their preferred device, right? Versus uh, we mentioned radio earlier. You know, if you're flipping through the dial there, you, you you don't have any say about what's on. Like you didn't choose the song that's on. That that song is is pushed out at you and is pushed out at everyone who has access to that signal. So television would be another example. Newspapers would be, of course, another example as well. You don't have any choice uh, about what that content is other than to consume it. So I uh, stay on that channel. Uh, or decide not to consume it and I change the channel, right? So that's the biggest difference is pull medium is basically like a 100% opt-in rate for that, for that media uh, versus push media, uh, where you, it's just really kind of hit or miss because uh, you're pushing the same message out to the masses and some of those folks who are in receipt of that signal may decide, yeah, you know, I want that. Uh, and the large majority of folks are just, they're not going to have any interest in it. And the ultimate push media is like direct mail, like a billboard that you can't avoid, or it's not only do you not control, but you don't, uh, what it is, but you also don't control whether you receive it or not, <laughs> which it's, it's a very, it's a far, far more obnoxious form of communication, frankly. And it's a lot harder to persuade somebody through push communication than it is through pull communication. Um, pull is slower to get started, obviously, because people have to hear about it and have to grow, but it is more effective in the long run. So that that that's really good. Okay, so 
you've convinced us. It's like, okay, I want to be on some podcasts. I want to reach a whole bunch more people and let them know about what I'm doing. How do we do that? How do we get more guest podcast appearances? Well, you know, it, it really begins with understanding, uh, as I said earlier, the value that you bring to the table. I mean, you, you have to, uh, you're, it's just like push versus pull. I mean, it's not a one size fits all. You have a particular message that is going to be of more uh, more of an appealing nature to certain subsets of the population than others, right? So, I mean, the first thing that you have to do is just to become really, really clear uh, on what it is that you would be talking about and what your topic of influence is, what you focus on, and then making sure that you have the ability to talk in sound bites, make sure that you have the ability to understand the needs of the audience, make sure that you have clarity on a particular system, if you will, that you can cover during an interview that during an interview that can really add meaningful value for, uh, you know, for, for the audience, right? So a big part of it is uh, really having clarity on who you are and what you do and how you help people and then finding relevant shows, and one of the easiest ways to do that um, is to create, as I've said now a few times, you're, you're just having clarity around what your topic of influence is. And that's really the one, two or three or maybe four word description of who you are and what you focus on. And ostensibly using that as the keyword or keywords to search for relevant shows that are already talking about your area of expertise. And that's where I would start in terms of finding those shows, listening to those shows, making sure that you actually wanted to be a guest on those shows uh, because, you know, reality is you may not necessarily like the show uh, or the show may not actually do interviews, right? So, I mean, you've got to make sure that you're pitching the right shows and that requires you to understand, you know, how to find those relevant shows. I will say somebody who books a lot of guests on my various podcasts, the number one question I'm asking is, why should I book you? You know, why would you be interesting to my audience? Because um, podcast feed is a it's an act of trust, right? Like they get every episode that goes out. And if somebody gets a couple of boring episodes, they're tempted to unsubscribe. Right. There are dozens of other podcasts on pretty much every topic. And when we started novel marketing back in 2013, we were the only fiction marketing podcast out there. Now there's like a science fiction marketing podcast. Not only are there like dozens of other like fiction marketing podcasts, but they're like specific genre specific ones. Like it's gotten crazy the amount of variety. And so we have like our subscriber base is an act of trust and we can't bore them. And so. One of the things I always look for in a guest is, have you done this before? And are you, what you're talking about, is it going to be interesting? And, and so what you're talking about, knowing that value, the more clearly you're able to communicate that value is so valuable to me as a host because I'm like, oh, that value is something that I think my audience would be interested in and I'm much more likely to book you. Yeah, and that's a relationship. I mean, we, we could go down a million different paths here, but the the relationship between the podcast host and and the guest who was invited onto that show, I mean, is really something from a from a guest perspective that you have to honor. I mean, because you've spent sometimes, I mean, years, right? Depending on who the host is, but oftentimes years building trust with that audience and, and building up that following and building the subscriber base and so on. 
And to be handed the microphone to be able to speak to that audience, I mean, really is an honor and a privilege. And I, th- and I think a lot of people look at it the other way around. And, and that's going to eventually catch up with you, right? So I think you really do have to look at it that if you're going to be a guest on shows and that it truly is an honor and, and a privilege for someone to invite you on to give you that mic. Yeah, and the very least thing that you can do, or especially if you're just getting started, it's really good to listen to the podcast that you're going to come on uh, just to know if you're a good fit for it, especially if you're approaching that podcast and being like, hey, have me on as a guest. Uh, having listened to the podcast and know kind of the feel, uh, it really helps get booked. And um, it, I will say, I don't often solicit podcasts to like come on as a guest, but when I do, it's when I've listened to them first. And I'm like, hey, I think this topic would fit well with kind of the constellation of topics that you have been talking about recently. And uh, again, to honor that trust that you're talking about, uh, because you want to be able to fit, to be a good fit for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, super, super important. And, uh, and look, you know, reality is you can probably talk, uh, in a way that can be of benefit to, to any audience, right? I mean, I think most smart people can figure out how to add value for just about any audience. But at the same token, you know, right message, wrong audience uh, is, isn't going to go over well in the long run. That's really good. So uh, now we've, we're starting to reach out to podcasts. We're getting some practice with maybe some kind of smaller podcasts. We're getting better. How do we maximize our time on somebody else's po- podcast? Obviously, you don't want to just be pitching the whole time. That will not, uh, your podcast may not air if all you're doing is one big sales pitch. So what's, what's the sweet spot there? How do you maximize that time? Well, from my experience of having been a guest on over 500 shows in the last three years, and then, uh, as you mentioned earlier, hosting my own show, uh, it really, to me, is all about focusing on the teaching, right? Focusing on adding value, focusing on making sure that the audience has something they can walk away from the interview with. And, you know, if you just think about it from a time standpoint, uh, if you allocate let's just say 98% of the interview to doing exactly that of adding value and teaching and creating strategies and so on that can really help someone in their life or their business. Uh, and maybe, you know, one to 2% of the interview on something that's a bit more self-serving in terms of a call to action or how can people get more information, et cetera. Uh, I don't think you can go wrong with, uh, with that ratio whatsoever. And unfortunately, when you listen to a lot of shows, uh, you'll see that uh, very few people follow the the ninety eight two rule uh, and spend a lot more time chit chatting about uh, about things that uh, I guess, for for lack of a better term, would fall under the the category of being self serving. That's right, and uh, that's those when I'm listening to that kind of uh, episode because I listen to fifty plus podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts, and when I'm listening to that kind of episode. I just skip. I'll just fast forward sometimes through the whole rest of the episode and they've lost their opportunity to give me their sales pitch if they're, you know, sprinkling it in too much. I will say probably the best guest we ever had on novel marketing created a special guide just for our listeners on the topic that she was talking about. And you could get the guide off of her website if you signed up for her newsletter. And she didn't, she didn't have to pitch hardly at all. I mean, because the guide was laser targeted on the topic that she was talking about. And she just mentioned it. She gave the URL once or twice and everyone just like, you know, flooded her with people with signups because they're like, I want that. I want more. And she wasn't saying, hey, 
I know we've just met, but I want you to buy this big, expensive thing from me. She was saying, hey, I know we just met on this podcast. And in exchange for your email, I'd like to give you even more value. And that then began the conversation where she was able to send them additional emails and build that relationship. And it was very powerful. And I remember being very impressed with her preparation. Because I will say, when I'm a guest on somebody else's podcast, I don't do that much prep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's true, right? I mean, you become a little complacent. You become a little lazy. I think when the, the more that you do it because you've done it so many times that it just feels second nature to you. So, yeah, reality is if, if you treat, uh, and, and this is something I got to think about. It's like, you know, don't, don't do as I say, do as I do, or don't do as I do, do as I say. I don't know one of those expressions, but the reality is, you know, I could absolutely think about it uh, differently from the standpoint of treating each interview uh, like it's the first interview that I've uh, done and how would I prepare for that? Right. Now, when you said you did 500 shows in the last couple of years, I think some people fell out of their seats. They're like, how on earth do you schedule 500 shows? And having booked you, I will say, I know your secret. So I use Calendly for booking guests on this show. And you were the first guest I've had on who had his own Calendly for interview appointments. So I was like, wow, this is cool. So so what is Calendly and how do you use it to keep your million shows from colliding with each other? <laughs> yeah, um, Calendly.com, right? It's just, um, it's something that ties into your calendar and allows people to, to book times with you. I have got uh, a couple of different options on there. I've got a 20 minute call. So if I'm doing, uh, I have a lot of private coaching clients, right? So if I'm doing, uh, private coaching calls. I'll have them set them uh, set up there. Uh, but I also have an option for hour long uh, interviews and ties right into the calendar. And uh, I typically work Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. Uh, so I try to get everything uh, scheduled in in those days. But yeah, keeping track of things uh, is somewhat of a nightmare trying to coordinate schedules and so on. So uh, for me, I use it both for folks to to book calls uh, with me. But then on the other side of the uh, the coin, there. Uh, I use it for the podcast hosts uh, who want to have me on their show to uh, to find a convenient time, uh, typically on a Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. Yeah, it, it's amazing. And what I love about it is that when someone books a slot, that slot it not only goes on your calendar. So if you, I use Google Calendar, it creates the event on my calendar, but it also shows that time period is booked. And then I can set the buffer before and after that's also booked. And if I add something to my Google Calendar just on my own, it will mark it as booked in Calendly. And so it keeps me from getting double booked. So I can give the same link to a dozen different people and they can all book times and none of them will overlap with each other, which is, um, you know, imagine the old fashioned way of like, hey, can you do two o'clock on Tuesday? No, I'm busy two o'clock on Tuesday. Oh, how about four o'clock on Thursday? No. And you're going back and forth and it takes what is a 15 minute activity of back and forth emails into a 30 second, you know, just pick a time that's free. It's I, I really like it. And I've connected it with text expander. So I'll just type in hyphen coffee and it gives my special Calendly link for coffee. If somebody's like, hey, I want to get coffee and I send it to them <laughs> or hyphen interview or hyphen consultation. And it, I'm able to, it's so fast and it's one of the 
best like quality of life thing. And we're not sponsored by Calendly, by the way. <laughs> I'm just a fan. We will have a link to it in the show notes, uh, as well as any other website uh, that we've mentioned. Just scroll down in your app and you can uh, tap uh, to find out more. Um, so I do want to talk a little bit about joint ventures because you're talking about profiting from podcasting. And this is one of those ways where podcasters can often, this is where they can make their living potentially. Uh, what is a joint venture and, and how, do, uh, how would a podcaster or YouTuber uh, get into one? So joint venture can mean a million different things to a million different people. But in, in my way of thinking, uh, the way that I would define it is simply finding uh, someone who has a particular uh, audience, uh, whether it be through a blog or through a YouTube channel or through a podcast or an email list. Uh, but they have access to uh, a subscriber base uh, and they introduce their audience to a product, program, or service uh, that they believe in and believe that it can that can add value uh, for for their people. And by making that introduction uh, of that product, program, or service to their audience, if one of their audience members enrolls uh, in whatever said uh, offering is, then they get paid a commission off of that sale. So, for instance, when we did our launch of Profiting from Podcasts, um, the most recent one we did was in April of uh, 2018. Uh, I will say that the uh, majority uh, of our sales came as a result of uh, our joint venture partners introducing uh, the offerings that we had related to the event, uh, to the uh, launch, uh, to, to their people. And so in, uh, in that two week window, we were able to add, uh, about 22,000 subscribers, uh, to our database. Uh, and we had a few hundred people, uh, enroll, uh, in the training of which I think we paid commissions on roughly 60% of those sales. Wow. I, I did a joint venture recently. I've just started getting into this myself. And uh, what we did was it was for uh, Klytics, which is a Kindle analytics program to help you figure out which categories are, you know, popular, but not very crowded in Amazon, which is this like super niche software, right? Like most people would be like, I am entirely uninterested in that. But the kind of people who would be interested in that are indie authors who just happen to be our listeners on novel marketing. And we mentioned it on the podcast. We sent out a couple of emails, and then we had a webinar and that was incredible. And that was kind of the combination. So we had a totally free podcast and we had a few episodes and the or emails and then the webinar. And that was an incredibly effective way for me as I was on the other side. So you, what you just described with profiting from podcasting, you created the product and then you partnered with people to help spread the word. Uh, with this, I, I was the guy spreading the word and it was a really great source of revenue. Uh, and it's really a win for both because the kind of people who are good at creating products often don't have as big of followings as they like or need. And the people who are spending all of their time building a big following often don't have time to create the kind of quality products that their audience is expecting. So a joint venture can be a really great win-win. But I think what you said at the beginning was the most critical thing. It's like, it has to be valuable for your audience. It can't just be, oh, mattresses. I hear those are a high margin product. Everyone sleeps. I should get into the mattress game. That means it, it's like, no, no one wants to hear your webinar on mattresses. <laughs> it's like, that's not going to work. Unless you have a sleep podcast, maybe, maybe that would work. 
Yeah, yeah, and uh, and and I am the first to tell you that uh, that I work both sides of the uh, the the coin there, right? I'm I'm not only someone who creates products and programs and services that others can promote, but I also know that I'm not always going to be the solution to someone's problem, and therefore, uh, if I come across products, programs, or services that I think could be a good fit for uh, for my people, um, then I promote that. Uh, then I promote that as well. So I, I absolutely work on both sides of the coin there. Yeah. So um, for our, we have a lot of YouTube folks listening to this podcast, and joint ventures are a thing they can get into without getting into podcasting. They could do that on their YouTube. Uh, but how would somebody who's a YouTuber or a podcaster? How do they find joint venture partners? Yeah, you know, it is this interesting little world uh, of, in some cases, people say it's a very incestuous world um, because so many of those who are in the affiliate game promote one another, right? So it's, you know, John promotes Jay, Jay promotes John, John promotes Sally, Jay promotes Sally. It's like, you know, it's kind of this, uh, like I said, this very incestuous little world, but reality is that a rising tide lift all lifts all boats, right? And so from from the perspective of how do you find uh, these products, programs, services that might be a good fit for you to promote, uh, the first place to start would be your email inbox <laughs> because the odds are good um, that you've probably got an email at some point from someone promoting someone else, right? So, I mean, you just start with your email inbox. You've subscribed to X, Y, or Z newsletter, uh, and so at some point in time, they say, hey, this is something, you know, you might want to check out. Uh, that's one way. The other way is, uh, of course, you can simply go to uh, some of the marketplaces. I mean, there are um, there are marketplaces out there that simply uh, do nothing more than specialize uh, in, uh, you know, in, in these affiliate offerings. You have um, companies like, um, like Share a Sale is an example of where if you go to share a sale, um, you you could find hundreds of offers, right? I mean, there, there are marketplaces where you can find these offers. Uh, ClickBank, right, is a perfect example uh, of one of the places where you can find a ton of offers. Uh, but, uh, but I'm not sure that that's, mm, unless it's in your revenue model, you might not necessarily want to go down that path. The best, easiest, fastest way to do it is to just simply talk to your peers and say, hey, you know, what products, program services are you promoting uh, that you're going to get a return on? Yeah, and that was a very humble answer. I'll, I'll tell you what the the real way that like the top people do it, and that's they have in-person relationships that started at conferences, <laughs> which leads us perfectly into your conference, New Media Summit. So I appreciate you not trying to promote your summit, but I will say of the relationships that I've had, uh, that have turned into joint ventures. They've all, either, most of them have come from me meeting people at conferences. Yeah. I mean, that it's just, and, and it wasn't that I met everybody at a conference, but I met somebody in a conference. We created a mastermind group and that led to referrals. But like there was a, because there's a lot of, let's, let's be honest, there's a lot of really sketchy people who want to be joint ventures where they don't have a good product. They can't sell it on their own, but they were wanting to borrow your credibility. And the way that, you protect yourself from that is you get to know people <laughs> in real life if, if, or have somebody vouch for them in real life where they can um, say, Oh yeah, J Joe, his product is great. Um, my people really loved it. 
uh, as opposed to like getting on share sale where it's a total stranger and you have no idea. I mean, really, I would say if you're going to use one of these um, marketplaces, you got to go through the whole product yourself or at least really do some due diligence to make sure uh, that you're not violating that trust with your audience because that's, that is your most precious asset and you don't, you don't want to, to violate that. But with all of that said, setting you up for the most softball question, what is New Media <laughs> Summit? Yeah. And, and I mean, look, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, from the standpoint of the, the best way to, to develop real relationships with people is, of course, to meet them in person. And all of the people who I promote uh, are people that I know personally. I don't, there's, there's not a single person, if you're on my email list, there's not a single person that I introduce you to who I do not know personally and who I don't like and who I, you know, can't vouch for, right? I mean, every, every single person, uh, I have a personal relationship with often I'm, I'm really good friends with, uh, and believe in them, believe in their, in their offerings. So yeah, the new media summit is, uh, is a great place to meet, uh, well, awesome people from across the globe for sure. But the, for those who are unfamiliar with the event itself, it's, it's a pretty unique event from the standpoint of we bring in 40 top podcasters and we give a fairly intimate group of 150 attendees uh, the opportunity to learn from them and break bread with them and dance with them and hang with them. Uh, and, and the highlight, if you will, is that everybody has a chance to pitch the podcasters on who they are and what they do uh, and literally get booked on the spot for the shows that it's a it's a good fit for. So over the course of uh, a few days together, you really get to know one another. Uh, and I can tell you that uh, I, just since we started doing this in uh, 2017, uh, I've had just the most extraordinary experience getting to know uh, just so many amazing podcasters, so many amazing uh, attendees whose stories are just, I mean, God, the stories of the attendees... Uh, and the, and their willingness to be vulnerable and their willingness to share and their willingness to to really go out on uh, on a proverbial limb here if you will uh, to uh, to to really um, just go so much deeper than you you could ever uh, imagine people would want to go publicly <laughs> uh, especially in a forum like that it really just creates this very unique bond where uh, we have an incredibly tight community uh, of not only, of course, the podcasters uh, who attend and share their best practices and so on, uh, but even amongst the attendees, uh, because we we facilitate uh, an environment of uh, of sharing and facilitate an environment uh, of authenticity and transparency, and and really just want folks uh, to get comfortable with being who they are and sharing what they know, but connecting on a much deeper level. Uh, not only, of course, with uh, with one another, but with the podcasters as well, because ultimately that's what the podcasters are looking for in their guests are people who are really willing to share of themselves uh, in that selfless manner. Yeah, and I will say the New Media Summit isn't the only conference you can go to to meet people, but it is one of the only conferences you can go to if you want to meet me. So I'm going to be at the New Media <laughs> Summit specifically um, with the goal of book. I have three podcasts, uh, maybe more by the time we get there. I'm on a bit of a podcast creation binge right now. Sweet. Um, but I'm going there specifically to book guests for this show and for my other shows. And uh, I'd, love to, I'd love to see you there. So if any of you... Um, 
end up coming to a new media summit, do uh, check me uh, out. Come come find me. And I will say, if if new media summit is more than what you're able to handle right now, like you're like, oh, that's too much of a commitment. Flying to Austin, I can't do that. An easy way to get started. Uh, building these relationships is to go to local meetup groups in your area on your topic. And you can find those at meetup.com. But if you can come to New Media Summit, it's in Austin this year, which let me say is the best city. I'm I'm a little biased, but it's the best. We have the best food and the best music. Uh, so uh, we'll have a link uh, to New Media Summit in the show notes if you want to find out more. Um, Steve, where can people find out more about you as an individual? Yeah, uh, you know, look, the, the the best place probably is just check out Reinvention Radio, right, which is our show. And uh, if you survive that and you're interested in uh, learning more about who I am and what I'm doing, uh, probably steveolsher.com, O-L-S-H-E-R.com will be the next best place. All right, and we will have uh, links to all of these places in the show notes. Steve, thank you so much for coming on the Creative Funding Show. Yep, appreciate you having me on. 